Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. 557-4568. Good morning to all of you. I hope you will... uh, Pick up the phone, give us a call, let us know what we can help you with this morning. We are here until 10 o'clock. Uh, good morning to Lindsay, to Don, to Andy. How are we doing, everybody? Doing good well. Morning. Good morning, everyone. Well, we started the show, uh, Lindsay and I, off the air, that uh, she uh, somebody has stolen her credit card and bought us, uh, what kind of shoes did they buy? Uh, New Balance. New Balance. Anybody? Did anybody make a purchase on Lindsay's? Does anybody wear New Balance? No, I have Under Armour shoes on. Under Armour. Andy, not a New Balance guy? Not a New Balance guy. Yeah. And so then it went down the hole. We started talking about shoes. And then she says, you know what? I can't stand a Skechers. Really? (laughs) Whoa. Isn't that weird? I don't know why. And I know that people love them. My mom wears them. My sister has a pair. Right. And I just. You got a pair. I don't know why. They like annoy me. They're like the one Mary Beth just bought me a pair that is like, uh, and I said, so then I go, oh, Mary Beth bought me a pair. They're not a dress shoe, like a casual shoe that kind of reminds me of a hush puppy. And then I thought, when's the last time you thought about hush puppies? I used to love those in grade school. Yeah, the food food are tasty. Ferguson and I said, our engineer said, uh, the last time we had fish and chips. Mmm, yep. Is that what a hush puppy Hush puppies on a Friday fish fry? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it like a, it's like a dough ball. Right. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, no, that don't, that does yeah. sound delicious. So that right. was a rabbit hole. Dang. <laughs> and so <laughs> we had stinks. this whole 10-minute conversation off the air. I go, boy, this would have been good radio. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're giving you a recap. And now we're giving you a recap of it. Yeah. Uh, the recap. Anyway. Yeah. So that stinks. Recap. Sorry, Lindsay. That sucks. Yeah. Well, it'll be fine. Thank you. That, you know, I took, you know, years ago, um, I emceed this event for WGN Radio about credit fraud mm-hmm. that was like at the Drury Lane. And do you know the name Frank Abengale? No. Yeah, is that the, um, that's the yep. Catch Me If You Can guy, right? Catch Me If You Can oh, guy. I remember that movie oh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Thank you, right. Like 15-year-old? No, that's right. Anyway, um, so this guy now is like a credit expert, right? And now you young people... And I'll include you in that, Andy. Do you use a debit card? All the time. On occasion. Yeah. Yeah, I'll use it. Frank Abengale says, never use a debit card. Whoa. Ever, really? ever, ever. Okay. Well, this because, was not my debit card that was used. <laughs> no, but because... Well, see, but that's good because yeah. with the debit card, if they get a hold of that account, right, and you that's directly connected to your checking account, they take that money, the bank is not responsible. Right, right. That's your deal. With a credit card, because it's the bank's money, right? You know, whatever. They stole those those shoes from you, Lindsay, and whatever, $60, $80, $100, whatever it is, and you dispute it, you're off the hook. Yeah, it's a hassle. you got to get a new credit card, whatever. Right. But he said debit cards are the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah, credit, there's some protection for your money, at least. <clears throat> yep. Uh, we had a thing... Uh, with our businesses, uh, where we uh, our hardware stores, where uh, we where we pay rent, someone stole. We we still they're both both the landlords are kind of old school, so we send them checks for the rent, mm. and somebody stole the mail 
washed the check. Whoa. And then tried to cash a check for $17,000. That's an Abagnale move right there. It's a total Abagnale move. And the we bank with a small bank and have for like 30 years. And they were like, this doesn't seem right. You know what I mean? It didn't go through. Yeah. But had it gone through, that would have been our baby. Oh, man. That's yeah. scary. So... Our takeaway this morning at six sixteen in the morning on the House Smarts Radio Show is don't um, don't use your debit card. You're in trouble. And uh, Andy, don't wear Skechers. But I like them. <laughs> I like them too. Yeah, yeah. My mom loves yeah. them as well. Right. <laughs> she I does. Think, I think Lindsay just has to let it go. I don't know why. <laughs> they have some did. slip ins and stuff now too. Yeah, you don't have to, like, that's what on. I got. No they're bending over. Like, yeah. yeah. So- <laughs> those look good. My all my back. Okay. You're Andy, you're still way too young to okay. complain about not bending over. <laughs> I'm not that young. I just I just slip them in and that used and it it's great. So anyway, uh do hey, are we ready for our don't uh, uh, yes? That's who's going to be that. Okay, so you know uh, on on uh, Saturday mornings, one of my favorite things to do is um is to you don't call us, we'll call you. And um now I just have to find it. I don't know what I did with it. I think it's over here. Oh, here it is. And uh, so what it is is we I, I got to move the big wheel in, right? Remember the whole thing? And we start this morning. What's going on? What are you doing with yourself these days? Not much. Just trying to stay busy in New York City. You know, I'm not doing any TV production now. I'm working in fashion, doing right. graphic design. Oh, but look I do at- have a few questions for you. I'm trying to do some improvements around my apartment, and I wanted to get some advice on how to do it or if I should do it myself or call a professional like you to get it done for me i am your man how may i help you this morning brandon all right so i'm trying to install potentially a ceiling fan and i was wondering if that's something you think i should do first time myself Hmm. or call on a professional well i mean the only problem with the ceiling fan thing is that it's electrical and have you ever done any electrical work before brandon I've never done any electrical work before. Right. So it would not be my first stop on your home improvement train because, um, you know, if you've never done it before, and the chances are if there's a, bo- there's a box there already, is there a current light up there now? Yes, there is a current light. I have the fuse box available to me so I could turn off all the fuses, make sure that there's no live current going to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. If you, I live in like a 1940s apartment, also, just so the wires, so you know, the wires are very old. Yeah, if 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 to hedge my bet on on something like this, you know, if, if it was a, <clears throat> I mean, even if it was a switch, you know, chances are <clears throat> in an old building like that, there might be a lot of different wires going through that box, and you may, <clears throat> when you take the light down, you'll see there's probably a black and a white wire. And ultimately, your fan, if it's just a basic fan, would connect to those two wires, corresponding colors. But if you've never done any electrical work before, I think I would, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't start there. Staying away. Yeah. How about another? Right, well, how about, an, how about another project? You, you, you could film an episode of, of you doing. This I could. Me. How about you have another project that doesn't have electrical uh, things? I do. All right. How about this one? This one might be a little bit of an easier one. I'm getting a clicking noise on my stove all the time. The pilot light's just clicking all the time, and I'm like, it's waking me up in the middle of the night sometimes. Even you know how I get even, even when it's off. Even when it's off, and I, sometimes I'm, I have to unplug it so that I don't hear the pilot right. light clicking. Right. So the what I would do is take the top of it apart 
and you know the i don't know this model number but usually there's like these little caps over every single burner and there's a sensor that senses when it is well, well let me ask you this if you turn a burner on and it's on does the clicking stop or it continues to go no it continues it'll continue okay so but that I, I turn it on and i unplug it so that it doesn't go so there's an igniter that uh that clicks that on there and you probably need to replace that and that you're renting the apartment or you own the apartment uh i have an indefinite lease it's like a rent stabilized building i have got it got it well so you can try cleaning the sides of the burner with uh um like a piece of steel wool where you see the igniter that goes right next to the circle of the burner try cleaning each one of those with a little piece of steel wool to um clean it all up but if that doesn't work the fact that it continues to light you know even now that it's the knob's not turned my guess is the igniter itself is what needs to be replaced which is not an expensive item it's a small little part. If you get the model number of uh, the serial number, you can order that part online. And that electrical job, it's probably just plug and play, and you could absolutely do that yourself. Brandon, thank you so much for being our first caller on House Smarts Radio. It's 622 in the morning. You're listening to House Smarts Radio with me, Lou Manfredini. Our phone number is 857-557-4LOU. We'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Hey, Lou. Um, I've got a, a radiator system in the house with a, a boiler and, uh, the temperature pressure valve has gone off, uh, about three times in the last month. It puts some, you know, water on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if, is that normal? And also, is that a sign that that valve should be replaced? Yeah, it usually is. It's not a, I mean, it can be adjusted, but, um, it's doing exactly its job, right? I mean, we haven't, um, if it's already going off and we haven't get, been into the heart of the heating season yet, you know, your system's not really working that hard just yet, especially the last few days. So if you're getting that pressure relief valve already releasing the pressure, instead of, uh, you know, adjusting it and then risking putting too much pressure in the unit, I'd probably have a hydronics HVAC company come out do the inspection, make sure that it's, uh, you know, set properly and replace that pressure valve. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of uh, Mendel. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mendel Plumbing. Sure. They've been around a long time. Yeah. Long time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would be, they would be one, um, you know, the, uh, uh, there's plenty of, um, you know, HVAC, uh, contractors that we have on this show and on the station that you hear all of them can handle the hydronics but all the plumbers typically do the boilers as well and so yeah you had would have no problem at all with calling somebody like mendel to do that work appreciate the phone call 857-557-4 lou this is karen in glenview hi karen you're on house smarts radio Hi, Lou. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. You've helped me before. My reason for calling this morning is um, I live in a condo, and I have a patio door and windows, and I had the um, all of them replaced in 2007. But since then, for the past six years, it's been very cold and drafty in the winter, so I've done some... Uh, do-it-yourself um, sealing of it. I, I would go to the hardware store and get rubber tape and um, then put 
sheets of plastic over each window mm. with tape. But it doesn't seem to be, um, it doesn't keep the cold out. So I'm wondering, would you um, recommend that I have it professionally done weather stripping? Um, the thing is, I'm hoping to move. I've been here 23 years, so I'm hoping to move in the next year. Right. But it's each winter, I need to and then um, when you, figure out what to do. When you weather strip. I don't know how much it would cost to have and who I would call to see if they would do it. When you weather strip the patio door, then are you doing it so that you're not even able to use the door anymore? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I just seal it all up. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple of good handyman services out there that you could contact. Do you have a pen or a pencil? Yes, I do. So there's one company, they're based out of the North Shore, called Get Dwell. D-W-E-L-L. Get Dwell. Okay. And they're a, they work with a bunch of uh, handymen and hardware stores around the area, and they're a very good source for handyman service to get an estimate to do this. Ace Hardware also has their own handyman service that's part of their corporate entity, and it's called Ace Handyman Services. If you go to acehardware.com, you'll see a link. Um, acehardware.com? Correct, and you'll see a link there. Okay. And also that get dwell, I believe that's G E T D W E L L dot com. Both places, okay. you know, that way you can get two estimates and um, have them come out and bid on the work, and then you can decide whom you'd like to work with. And uh, they should be able to get that done. And it's probably just a few hundred dollars to really do a nice job, get you through the winter, and then you can decide what to do in the spring. Hi, Lou. Good morning. Um, I need your advice as to whether or not I should tackle a project. Right. I have a paper wallpaper that was professionally installed over 30 years ago, I think. Mm. It's on there beautifully. It's not peeling or anything, but I want it removed. Now, I've removed vinyl wallpaper before, but nothing that's just a regular paper, and I don't know how difficult that would be to do on my own. Um, the, the Well... It could be easier. It could be uh -oh. harder. Well, no. It, it, I mean, it. It really all depends. It could be easier. It could be harder. And uh, the one thing is with the vinyl, because the material is a little bit thicker, it tends to come off a little bit easier with the paper because it's thinner. Depending on the strength of the glue and if thirty years ago they sized it and all that stuff, it probably would be pretty easy. Have you done? Have you? You said you've removed vinyl before, right? So, what right. I what I would do is get. Um, you know that tool called the paper tiger, and you perforate okay. the paper first, then you apply the wallpaper stripper to loosen the glue, right? Make sure that you okay. um, make sure that you uh, put some drop cloths down, right? Because it's going to make be a little bit messy. And uh, what I would do as well on the base trim, before you start stripping all this, get some wide painter's tape and tape over the base trim. You don't have to do, do it, uh, you know, so precisely, but you want to cover most of it because you're going to get dripping down there and you might get discoloration on the paint of the trim. And if the paint on the trim is fine now, you don't want to have to redo oh, all that and then put the drop cloth, you know, right next to that and or, ta yeah. or, and or tape the dry uh, drop cloth to the base trim, you know, so you create like a 
uh, an area for the water to go. And um, then once you have the stripper on there for a while, start scraping and see what happens. And if all of a sudden you're successful, great. If you're like, wow, it's super sticky, it's not coming off, then the next step would be to rent a wallpaper steamer. Have you ever used one of those? No. Oh, my God, your skin's going to be fabulous because it's going to be like a... (laughs) You're going to be right next to this hot iron. It's going to be steaming like crazy, and all the dirt uh, in your pores is going to come right out. You're going to be like, where, oh, my gosh, where did you go, Marie? Oh, I went and got a facial while I was taking off my wallpaper. <laughs> well, if it seems the wrinkles out of me, then I'm all for Even it. better. Right, right. You're going, to be, you're, going to be, you're going to be looking like a 25-year-old when you're done with this. But the ste- how big is the room? Oh, it's, it's not too big. It's a bedroom, so it's like, yeah. uh, I don't know. 12 by 12 or something. Um, So there's two brands of wallpaper stripper. When you go to the hardware store or the home center, you'll find either look for a product called Chomp, which I really like. And uh, C-H-O-M-P is very good. The other one is called Diff, D-I-F. And um, you apply it, it loosens the glue. You know, you usually let it sit on there for 10 minutes or so and... In a perfect world, you know, you'll get one big strip and be able to pull it down in big sections. Uh, okay, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And so the glue will come off then with that strip, so, or I have well, to go back and right. So then most of the glue, you know, most of the glue will come, but then you'll have residual glue on the walls, and so you'll do oh. a, a little more scraping and then wiping with. Uh, you know, with a sponge or a brush. And, you know, you may have to do, you're going to, you will inevitably dig into the drywall a little bit with the scraper. And so you'll have to do a little bit of patching and you may have to do a little bit of sanding and priming. I mean, it's not an, you know, it's not a, Hey, I'm going to do this and it'll look great, you know, but it's, 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 it's one of those projects, Marie, that it's a lot of work, but when you're done, you're super satisfied. So just, Plan it all out. Is this your main bedroom? Yes. Where are you going to sleep while you're doing all this work? You have another bedroom? Well, my husband will be on the couch. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got, make your life easy. If this is going to be the project, empty the room of the furniture or most of it that you can put the rest in the center and just, you know, say to yourself, okay, to this morning I'm going to tackle the wall behind the bed, Right. Oh. And just set your expectations so you're not overwhelmed. And if you, you know, if you end up working until two in the afternoon to get that wall done, then you're done. Then the next day you do the other wall. Or if all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is going great, then, you know, you're off to the races. But also keep in mind, you may find that one wall is easier than another. And if you just set your expectations about what you can do and when you can do it, I think you'll be happier. Okay. All right. Well, I'm pumped now, so thank you. <laughs> pump up and the jam. Pump up the jam. Pump it up. Pump it up now. All right. Good. I like that. Good projects. Get that stuff going. 857-557-4LU. 857-557-4568 is our phone number. It's 646 in the morning. We're broadcasting from the Permaseal Foundation Repair Studios. We'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fabulous. How are you? Do you have a sister, Fran? Pardon? Do you have a sister? 
Do I have a sister? Yes, I do. Are you older or younger? She's younger. She's younger. And does everybody, do, do you ever get together with people and do they, do you, does she always introduce you as your her older sister? Actually, she's in California, so we don't get together that much. Got it, got it. All right. But, well, how may I help you this morning? Well, on my gas stove, which is about 12 years old, there's a lockout button and it keeps staying on. And I have to press and hold to disengage it. And then during cooking time, like if I got a pot on the stove, it'll go off again. I could hear it from the front room. How do I just get that to stop? Wait, what do you mean a lockout button? It's it's a it's it says blackout hold three seconds. I don't know if it's to disengage something or the cleaning or or what. I'm not sure what it's for. I'm sorry. Okay, so this is a this is a oven cooktop combination. Yes. Yes. Gas or electric? It's a self cleaning oven. Okay, gas or electric? It's gas. And this particular button is for the oven? You know, I'm not sure. I guess I should have investigated more than I before I called you. Well, I'm just trying to, I'm, you know, apply, all appliances are very different. So it's a separate knob from everything else. No, it's, it's, it's like a flat surface. Like, oh, my goodness. It's not a button per se. It's, it's a flat surface where you press different. Oh, I don't know how to explain it. Mr. Okay. Mr. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, hold on. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So in other words, it's like, there's a series of buttons and Correct. this like button. Yeah. Got it. And so this button says hold for three seconds and lock. Hold for three, three seconds to like disengage it. Okay. So but it, it is, goes on automatically without okay. me pressing it. All right. So hold on. So I think what it might be is, no, no, no. I think it's a safety switch for if you had little kids that you would hold it and it would it would disengage the knobs so that if like a small child oh. were to turn it on, it wouldn't turn on. So, oh, that makes sense. So my question is, when you're cooking, you say you'll have a burner on and then all of a sudden this thing will kick on and the burner will turn off? Correct, but it stays completely on even when I'm done cooking, and every all the all the things are off. All my burners. Okay, all right. So it just stays on completely. But and it to do- disengage it, I have to push it in. But it doesn't hinder your ability. Does it hinder your ability to cook? Yes, because it's constantly on. I can't. Okay. And in order to get the burner to start, I have to disengage it. All right. So I want you to try and do two things yourself before you hire an appliance person to come fix it. I want you to go when we're done, hold it for three seconds, and engage the lock. And you should see on the oven that it says lock. Okay? Yes. And so you're going to hold it for three seconds. And then go and try and start a burner and the burners should not start. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's already on lockout. I push it in to disengage it. I turn the burner on, mm-hmm. and even while it's cooking, it will 
lock out again. Okay. So now the next thing I want you to do, and I don't know if you have the ability to do this, is I want you to carefully, and you may want to put a drop cloth down, pull the, uh, well, are you in a house or a condominium? It's a house. Okay. In a perfect world, you would pull out the oven a little bit and then unplug it and see if we can reset the circuitry in the Uh oven. Or if you go down to your electrical box and you see something marked for the, it's probably not a dedicated circuit for the oven, but it might be the outlets in the kitchen or something like that. Turn that breaker off for 30 seconds. Make sure that the oven is off. And then, and then turn it back on and see if that, it's just like rebooting a computer. There's electronics inside yeah. there, and you need, to, you need to try doing that and see if that resets it. If that doesn't do it, then that sensor probably needs to be replaced. Here's the thing. Is this a fancy, uh, is this a fancy oven? No. Okay. I mean, it's a self-clean oven. Right, right, right. Fancy. But, but at 12 years, okay. Gas ranges are inexpensive, and a service call on something like that with the part could be four or five hundred dollars. Oh Lord, have mercy! And you can buy a gas range for a little bit more than that. So try what we just spoke of and see if that works for you. And if it does, you're golden. If not, then you just may need to make a decision about whether you get it repaired or consider replacing it with new. Thanks so much for the phone call. It's 6.57 in the morning. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Growing up, Don. Um, I can remember just some Santa-themed ones, and I feel like we had a Nightmare Before Christmas-themed one at some point. Right. So, you know, for those who are not, uh, you know, don't celebrate Christmas or, you know, not of the Christian faith, it's like this little... uh you know, it, it can be anything, right? And Don, it can be a, like look like a little house, or it can look like a box. It hangs on there, and every day, I think it start, Advent starts December first, right? right? And you open up the um, the little door, and there could be a little candy in there or whatever, right? Little prayer. I, I when you look online, there's like one where you get a candle. Mm-hmm. You know, each day oh, a little nice. candle, cute. right? Kind of cute, different thing. So, uh, my wife is at an Aldi. In um, in uh, Wisconsin, and um, over where they have the advent calendars that aren't yet for sale, they she sends me a picture and she goes, "I don't know why I can't stop laughing at this sign." And the sign at the Aldi says, "Our alcohol advent calendars are being sold using a ticketing system starting November 2nd. Wow! <laughs> what so on earth? It's kind of like what you were talking about the Taylor Swift tickets going on sale, <laughs> where you have to get totally. in line. You need a ticket first Very because similar. now on wow. Advent, I don't know that this is a good idea. Oh, it's, it's December first. Look, it's Fireball. Whatever it is, they get a little <laughs> bottle of booze in every little door. Right. Yeah, and wait for the surge pricing when demand is up. <laughs> For uh, advent calendars. How funny is that? You My goodness. Ticket system. I don't know, but now we, I, I want one. <laughs> now it's like wow. now it's going to be like a mission. Now I need. So, now I need a ticket. I don't think I ever thought about liquor advent calendars. And if you just type into the Google advent calendars, wine advent calendars. Yeah, I saw that at Costco. You, mm, I love it. Right. Nice. Right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they have them for dogs too. You've seen the ones for dogs. Oh it's yeah. Gross. Oh. Like the, I know. 
for all those hyper-religious the, the dogs out there. Bruno, Bruno, it's December 4th. Look, here's a milk bone. That's crazy. <laughs> he yeah. comes running down every morning. Ooh, yeah, yeah right. What day is it now? Let me flip the door. <laughs> it's the 7th. Let's go. Oh, my gosh. That is too funny. Uh, anyway, so you need a ticket if you're buying the Booze Advent calendar. Evidently, they must sell out uh, quickly because yeah. they're not there. 857 857-557-4568 is our phone number. Um, I spent, uh, what was it, Thursday or Wednesday or something? I, I was watching, oh yeah, th- I was watching Thursday Night Football, and um, I hear our kitchen drain, um, I, our kitchen drain kind of gurgling. And I thought, oh, that's funny. And uh, I tried to... Uh, of course, you know, during the game, I'm trying to free it up. I can't do it, do it, do it. The next day I come home and I spent five hours trying to clear the drain. Finally, I had to cut a pipe out. And this is just something for all of you to think about. I I even showed the pipe on the WGN morning news on Friday, just briefly. And your, what's crazy about plumbing is your kitchen sink can work just fine. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And, This has happened to me for years when I was working on other people's homes. You cut out a section of pipe. And all this plumbing in the house that we live in in Chicago was redone in 2001. So all the piping is, you know, relatively new. It's not 70 years old. The two-inch plastic pipe that comes from the kitchen sink and, uh, you know, then ultimately goes down to the main sewer was completely clogged with gunk from a kitchen sink. And we don't use a disposal. We have uh, uh, we have uh, basket strainers, but solid, completely solid. And so it's a really good idea prior to Thanksgiving to use what's called a drain enzyme before you go to sleep at night, pour it into the drain, follow the instructions, let it sit there and percolate and kind of munch up any of the gunk that's there. And then in the morning, you rinse it out. And if you do that, you can avoid exactly what happened to me after five hours of trying to get it all out. And it's a huge pain in the rear end. But, uh, you know, we had to get a bigger rotter to come and clean it all out. It was just a disgusting mess. Yikes. What's a, what's a good enzyme? I'm just kind of curious about this. Um, so there is one product that my favorite drain opener is called InstaFlow. But they make an enzyme called EcoFlow. Which is very good. Nice. So it's pick that up at your local hardware store. Right on. Eight five seven five five seven four. Lou is our number. This is Bruce in Wisconsin. Hey, Bruce. Good morning. You're on House Smarts Radio. Hi. Good morning. Um, listened to you a couple of weeks ago. I've been listening to you every week, actually. Thank you. And you were talking big about this product, and I was wondering. I forgot the name of it and didn't have a pen. Um, it was a special primer that you had stuck to anything and you tossed it up. Oh, there, yeah. It was really nice. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. You got a pen now? Yes, I do, sir. It's actually the product, uh, the brand is Insul X, I-N-S-L-X. And it's now owned by and made by Benjamin Moore. And the primer, the bonding primer, is called Styx. S-T-I-X. Evidently, whoever works there can't spell, and they come up with funny spellings of everything, but it is, uh, I use that primer, uh, as I mentioned, on repainting kitchen cabinets, and it is such a hard, it creates almost like, um, 
when it's hardened, it has the texture of an eggshell, but it's durable. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you sure. put, you know how you, if you feel an eggshell, you feel that it's solid. Obviously, you can break it, but, you know, that kind of hardness to it is there. And then whatever paint you put over that really bonds well to it. And I am, when I, when I look at the kitchen cabinets now that are uh, completed, uh, by the way, Lindsay, got that video done? Um, and um, so that's the secret sauce, and it can stick to just about anything. Beautiful. And what was that first name again? Insul X is the brand, I-N-S-U-L-X. And many uh, Ace stores carry it, uh, good paint stores will carry it, and it's what's called a bonding primer, and it should do a really nice job for you. Thanks so much for the phone call. It's 7.20 in the morning on 7.20 WGN. You're listening to House Smarts Radio with me, Lou Manfredini. Our phone number is 857-557-4LOU. We'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Uh, I got a brass base that's in pretty rough shape. I'm looking for something to clean it up. A brass... What is it? Base. Base. Brass base. Got it. Um... So there is a product that will be hard for you to find, but if you do, it's going to be your new best friend called Brasso. B-R-A-S-S-O. B-R-A-S-S-O. And it is a liquid, kind of a, it's a creamy consistency, but it pours out of a little metal bottle. And I would wear some uh, nitrite, nitro gloves you know like rubber gloves because you'll when you're taking the tarnish off of this thing uh it'll get into your fingers and it'll take you till thanksgiving to get it off so make sure you wear these rubber gloves and go ahead and pour this uh into a container and then almost like i remember when we used to wax our cars with turtle wax and you put the wax on Yep. So you'll put this cream on there with a little soft pad, or even like a sponge, like a damp sponge, and then let it sit there for a little bit. And um, all these instructions are on the bottle, but you'll let it sit there for a little bit. And then use a, usually a microfiber will do a pretty good job. And then just in a circular motion, start to work in a small spot and keep working your, your way out. And it should bring it back to life. Okay. All right. All right, I can do that. I know a while back I talked to you and you said something about uh, some stuff I use called Challenger. Oh, yeah, it's a really good cleaner. Yeah, would that work on it? Mm, I mean, it, mm, no. I don't, well, I, it might. No. It might, but the problem is the Challenger full strength is a very, you don't want to get that on your hands and stuff, even though if you wear gloves. I would use the Brasso. Don't use the Challenger on that. All right. Sounds All right. good. You Thank got you it, so bud. I appreciate a call this morning. 857-5574-LOU. We've got Kathleen in... Oh, hold on. i got to hit the button. Kathleen is in Roselle. Hi, Kathleen. You're on House Smarts Radio. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Lou. Hi. So I, I have a question. Um, I found out that my bathroom exhaust fans were not vented outside. So I had um, a guy uh, put new... Um, fans in the bathrooms and then i had to get a roofer to uh uh, put the vents outside so 
Anyways, the three that I have, the two bathrooms that are upstairs, one in the main, or excuse me, one in my uh, master bath bedroom, um, when it's really, really windy, like today now, it's very windy. Mm. So I can hear all this, uh, like banging and clanging, and the right. and the fan is fine, but it's like the vent. I guess the uh, wind is getting underneath it, and it's really making a lot of noise. Uh, the The fan has a damper on it, right at the right right at the fan point, and so depending on how the piping was run, okay, and where it's run, you're getting that pressure coming in, and that's why. That damper's going back and forth. I assume that if we turn the fan on, it goes away. Yeah, it's and it's not all the time. It just sort of depends. I'm on a corner, and it's really windy. Right. Depends so on I had uh, the oh. roofing guy came back, and he insists that uh, that uh, everything was done right with the, uh, with the vent. I'm sure it's not the vent issue because, well, I shouldn't say that. So the vent is in the roof, correct? Correct. And do you know if that roof vent has a cover, meaning it has a little door well, as would, well? Yeah, I can. See, you can see it from the outside. And the other bathroom is, you know, they're attached like, okay, or not attached, but they're next to each other. Mm-hmm. The other one doesn't do it. Right, but it's facing a different direction, right? Well, no, they're right. They're facing the back of the house. But, uh, I mean, the roofing guy came out and... No, but my question is, um, when, you, said, when you look at the vent on the roof, does the roof vent itself have a little door on it? Yeah, it has like that flap thing. It does. Okay. And so mm-hmm. the other one's right next to it, same side. That one doesn't flap. You don't hear that. Um, no. Okay. So maybe... Ask the roofer on that vent. <clears throat> they may be able to um, position it. it. You know, the the thing is, is that if it's the wind is catching that vent door and popping it open for whatever reason, it could be that mm-hmm. the the door is a little bent to it, or maybe they could add a little felt pad to the. There should be a screen on it as well as the door, and they pop the screen off. If they put a little felt, yeah, he did that already. Okay. Well, he did that already. He, okay. got, he did all kinds of stuff. He insisted that, uh, you know, no critters can get in there, and, you know, there's just nothing. Right. So he's telling me that it's Mother Nature. Well, the only other thing that they could do, and and, and I don't disagree with that because it can just be the way the wind hits it, the only other thing that you could mm-hmm. ask him to do is if he came, if he came down um, one course of shingle, in, right in front of where they put the roof vent and took a piece of aluminum and bent it to 90 degrees and had the one piece of aluminum go up about two inches. So he's going to slide it under the shingles and then there's going to be a two inch, like a wind break. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'll still let the air come out. It's not going to hold any snow really to worry about in the winter months, but all it's going to do is redirect the wind not to blow against that, and it's really a two-second okay. fix. I mean, he's not going like to well, I... not gonna like doing that, but um, it will solve the problem because it'll stop the wind from going right at the, at the vent. Appreciate the phone call. It's 7.31 in the morning. When we come back, are you thinking about 
you know, we're, we're talking about inflation and you want to really save some money. How about you get rid of cable and you get rid of your subscription to, uh, you know, the TV channels that you're streaming and you get all the live and local channels for free. All you need is a really good antenna. I have a really good antenna for you coming up. So one of the things I do a lot of now is I film these videos uh, on behalf of Ace Hardware. If you go to their Ace Hardware channel, you'll see a lot of how-to stuff and things that, uh, you know, that I do, whatever. It's all kinds of different projects and whatnot. We were shooting these videos about these new, this new line of digital HD antennas. And one of them in particular, we were in a studio in a building. And I'm like, well, I don't know how well this is going to work. And uh, we had a TV set up and we plugged it in. And all of a sudden, we got like 70 channels for free. You can do the same thing. Take a listen. Thinking of cutting the cord? Tired of paying for cable channels that you never watch? Your household is all about network news, local sports, and the shows broadcast on your local affiliate stations. A TV antenna is an excellent way to supplement the lack of broadcast TV stations that streaming services don't provide, giving you access to free over-the-air broadcasts. Combined with your favorite streaming devices or services like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, our new Tulu 2 this morning, the RCA Digital HD Outdoor TV Antenna will satisfy your TV watching needs of a complete cable-free package. The RCA Flat Multi-Directional Antenna is a compact design great for mounting on your roof or in your attic, giving you HD TV network programming and all your favorite shows for free. No monthly fee, no subscription, no contract. It'll deliver 4K Ultra HD TV picture and movie theater quality sound. And features an ultra high gain design so you can receive the most local channels available. But why not an indoor TV antenna, you might ask? A valid question, especially if you live in an area with severe weather. But here's why. If your house is situated in a location with obstructions like mountains, tall buildings, lots of trees, or if the building's material contain things like brick or stucco, even some appliances can affect these signals, there might be too much interference for a clean digital signal. So mounting an outdoor TV antenna on your roof or other high-up location like your attic will give you the best signal possible. So whether you're tired of that monthly cable bill or you're simply looking for an alternative way to grab stations from distant zip codes, check out the RCA Flat Multidirectional Digital HD Outdoor or Attic TV Antenna. It's a mouthful, but you can find all of the information up on Lou's House Smarts YouTube channel. Lou actually tested this out himself this week and was amazed. The antenna goes for about 170 bucks, so go ahead, cut that cord. Wow, you were like an IT. Uh, you were like an IT guy person. Uh, can you give me Lindsay from IT down here? Yeah, well, what absolutely. you need is a multi-directional and uh, the coax cable, and you'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't ask me to repeat it. So here's the interesting thing about IT and that kind of stuff. Uh, I was speaking with someone about this antenna who was in the TV business, and he said that when you use an over-the-air TV and you get a really strong signal, you know, with something like this, the picture quality on your television is the absolute best it could be. Better well, really? than, Why? Well, because he said, think about it. If you're doing cable or you're streaming, whatever it is, cable in particular, he said, you're taking this giant, enormous signal, <clears throat> and then you're squeezing it into this cable. 
right? And and then making it come back out again when it gets to your television. And he said, over the air broadcast, it's just free in the wind, and then this thing grabs it through the antenna, and you even mentioned the fact that it gives you the surround sound, all that right. Right. signal huh. is in the air. I mean, it's kind of funny. You know, people are like, oh, well, I like having it hardwired. I don't like the Wi-Fi. But when we think about how this stuff was all in- invented long before there was cable, it was all over the air, like Wi-Fi. It, it was Wi-Fi before we even knew what that meant, right, you know, right. from a antenna. This outdoor antenna, it's kind of an, uh, it's a different looking thing. There's a grid, you mount it on a wall if you're going to do it outside, and there's almost like three bars. It sort of simulates, similar to like a, a sound bar that you would put under a TV, different sizes. But what's unique about it, too, is you can paint it to match the side of your house, which is kind of cool. You know, because I'm, I'm, it's it's black in color right. coming out of the box, but if you have a, a white house, sure. you can just paint it white. And it gets the signal, you run the cable in there, you do the channel search, and like all these stations, I know for some people listening, like, yeah, I already know this, Lou, but for for people that have uh, cable, NBC has like five different channels, 5.2, 5.3, and they have different programming on all of it, all in HD. And it's, what is it, 100 bucks? Right? It's not that expensive. 120? About 160. Like I said, 160? Hundred twenty, whatever still, it is. I mean, we pay that in our cable bill a month. I mean, with everything, most people pay more. Right, we, right, we do. It's yes. right. It's crazy. So, uh, and and again, if you're really, you think about all those channels. I mean, we do YouTube TV, and ha- two thirds of them we never watch, right. ever. Absolutely. Although I did watch that one channel that one night that I told you sent you the commercial for the lady that was on all the time. Oh, don't say it. Yeah. Because <laughs> then your phone will hear you and then you'll get the commercial. 857 Lou. 857-557-4568. Look, it's uh, 746 in the morning. Let's do this. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. Are you? Well, this is Jimmy. How hey, Jimmy. You, I'm good. How are you? What are we having this morning? Okay. Here's what happened. <laughs> I had Permaseal come out they did an excellent job, but when they put the sump pump in, after they put it in, there was holes in my original sump put, pump pit. I got three holes in there, so the water doesn't stay. It drains. So what I was thinking of doing is buying a new sump pump pit, cut it out, and then use that new one, small pieces, to put it over the holes and use stainless steel screws to keep it down. Okay. What was the work that Permaseal did for you? Basement Defender. Oh, okay. So they didn't change your sump pump or anything like that? No, they did not. But uh, after doing it, after they were doing it, I noticed that there's four holes. You know how you test the sump pump after you get everything in there? Right. Go ahead. It, it took a long time to fill with a garden hose. But that was, so wait, so that was the original pit? Yes, and it's still there. Okay. Do we really want to get rid of the holes? Well, I don't know. It goes into the house. Well, the whole, I mean? the whole, I mean, no, 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 no. So the, the wait, 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 these um, hole, these, 
these holes are at the bottom of the pit, correct? Right. Okay. Right. So, so many times what that's there for is that you get a little bit of water in there and it's just letting it drain, you know, that the natural percolation of the uh, water will then drain into the ground. Have you in the past, Jimmy, had issues with water? Never. Never. So you got the basement defender for a peace of mind issue, like we get a heavy, heavy rainstorm, yep. right? Yeah. Yes. That's- um, which a lot of people are doing, and it's you know it really does work. I mean, what you want to do would work, okay? Not going to be easy to do to reach down inside there and do all that. And but, and then you got to disconnect all this work that just got done. I don't want to do that. Right. I just leave it. I wouldn't worry about it. If you get a heavy rain, it's still going to test the pump, right, to make sure that it's operating and working. What I'm unsure of on the basement defender, I don't know this off the top of my head, is does it have a flow sensor that actually tests water flowing, or is it just testing that the pump is operating? I think it just tests the pumps that it's operating, but it works well. I'm very lucky that I don't get any overflow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of remember years and years ago, there was never a hole down there in my sump pump pit. But and then, I don't know. But who who replaced this? Who replaced the pit then? What did you have? No, that, that was on the original house. Oh, I see. Was the pit was the original house and has been there over twenty years. But like on a day like today, if you go down there, is any water coming into that pit? No, no. In a heavy rainstorm, it is. A little bit, but, uh, you know, in the past, I would hear the pump turn on. I hear the pump turn off, turn on, turn off. And the, now I never hear the pump. And, and these holes are on the bottom of the pit, not the side. No, they're on, right on the bottom. Right on the bottom. So it's draining into the ground. Right. Okay. I just leave them. So... You think I should just? I would just buy it. Just I, leave it. I would leave the holes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If it's draining, if the if they are on the bottom, okay. There's no pipe. Yep. There's no drain tile coming in. That's just draining the water into the ground. Thing is, Lamont. Well, where, where, where are you? You're in Lamont. You're in Lamont. So that's a lot of clay out there, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised that the water even drains into that. Well, there is a drain tile, you know, above it that, that, that flows into it, but it just, it never fills up. Right. In other words, if you took a five-gallon bucket, here, here's what, let's do this. Let's do a little test. Fill up a five-gallon bucket, not a garden hose, a five-gallon bucket, so I have volume of water, okay? And then dump that mm-hmm. five-gallon ga- five bucket into the pit, and then tell me okay. what, and then... Then if you pour that in there, it's going to immediately fill up. If the pump all of a sudden engages, right, then we're golden. If it engages and then once it gets below the float level, you know, you're left with like an inch or two of water, then time how quickly that water goes out of there, which probably if you got three holes in there and you say it never fills up, in a matter of, you know, five minutes, that water may be gone. If that's what happens, just leave the holes. 
Okay, I'll do that. Thank you very much for all your help. You got it, Jimmy. Appreciate you calling this morning. I mean, it, it's not uncommon. A lot of people would do this with the pits because you'd get some, the drain tile would go around uh, the house. And I mean, really, when you look at old, old houses, if we go back to the 40s, when they started using drain tile, it was clay pipe. And it was clay pipe that they would lay in sections that didn't even connect. They were, They butted up against each other. And the idea was it would take the water in between the seams of the clay pipe and then go in this pipe and it would circle the foundation in an effort to grab the volume of water to then drain into the ground. Now, before we had the infrastructure we have now, it kind of worked, but now we've built so many houses and we've, you know, taken away the natural uh, absorption of the ground because we stuck it full of foundations this were the advent of the sump pump and, you know, pumping stuff out and running into the sewer line or into the yard, whatever, came out of. Its uh, progress has created new technology, but also new headaches that we're, you know, constantly trying to solve. I appreciate the phone call. It is 7.57 in the morning. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We'll take a quick break and be right back cleaning our homes. I don't know about you, but I, I've been, you know, I'm at home watching the news or watching TV or something like that. Have you noticed there's all these different products now coming out that uh, say, oh, you've got to disinfect this. There's new wipes. Some of the biggest brand names that have never been playing in this arena are now fighting for your attention when it comes to what products you can use. Now, I'm sure they're fine products, but I'm always one that likes to do business with smaller companies, family-owned companies that really, you know, care about what they're creating and want to keep you healthy and safe. You have heard on this show over the years, me talk to a a guy by the name of Lenny Sherino. He is one of the co-founders and the CEO of a company called Granite Gold. They make these fabulous cleaners uh, for your countertops, whether it's stone or quartz, uh, you name it. They got all these products, but they also have these amazing new cleaners in response to what we need to do to keep our families safe. Joining me on the phone line is Lenny Sherino. Lenny, good morning. Welcome to House Smarts Radio. Good morning, Lou. How I, are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I, you know, I, I know you've got this long history of, um, you know, keeping people's homes clean when it comes to natural stone and quartz and all these other materials. And we've talked in the past about how you wanted to come up with a, a cleaner that did a little bit more. And and I suppose when you entered that marketplace, little did you think that all the big boys would be coming after you at the same time. Right. Well, when we first, when the pandemic first hit, we didn't have any interest in, you know, getting into the field. And we started getting phone calls from all of the, our buyers because, the shelves were depleted. Right. So we actually had a product we were working on, which was a two-in-one disinfectant and antimicrobial for longer-lasting protection. And that's what we originally launched was was that product. And it, you know, obviously took off. And we were still looking for, you know, that everyday solution of, you know, a cleaner and disinfectant in one. So that's where our all-purpose cleaner was born from. But before we talk about the all-purpose cleaner, though, that that disinfectant and the antimicrobial, I, I think that that term people get confused by what that all means. Can you 
describe that original product, what it's called. I know that people can find that product on store shelves and and at your website, getmicrogold.com. But can you describe exactly how that product, the first product that you created, works? Okay, it's a long name. It's a multi-action disinfectant antimicrobial. And what it does is when you, most disinfectants, you spray it on there and you have to let it sit for, you know, some are three minutes, some are two minutes, and you let it sit to to disinfect. Right. And once you touch it again, it's just reinfected. So if you spray a door handle and you wipe it off, you disinfect it, great. And then the next person walks up, grab that door handle, it's reinfected. So with, with, and, does, and we're not saying just COVID. It could be, uh, uh, you know, could, any kind of germs. The minute you touch all, it. All, back, all yeah. bacteria. All, all germs, bacteria, correct. right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so... With our product, when you spray it on there, you get that disinfectant for that immediate kill, but then you get the antimicrobials that, that bond to the surface, and they actually create long-lasting because antimicrobials like ours, which is called the Cyquat antimicrobial, um, bonds to the surface, and it suppresses growth and, and basically kills um, all the bacteria that can, that can get on there. So, And this product actually has a, a kills COVID claim as well. And that antimicrobial part that you you speak of actually lasts for a little while right it isn't immediate in other words that that same example of the person with the germs on the their hand whatever it is they touch the knob it goes to kill that and and can last for a little bit right so what it does is it puts that barrier there and they're actually like microscopic little swords and they're positively charged and the negatively charged you know bacteria and viruses are are attracted to it and those little swords puncture the cell wall and destroy the the bacteria and the viruses so that's that's how it works and that's how it gets long-lasting protection so even after you walk away and someone else touches it it attracts those bacteria it's you know punctures it and destroys it so it's kind of what we call more of a mechanical kill versus a chemical kill. Hey, when you were a kid, you know, helping your, your dad carry heavy countertops and load them into the truck, did you ever think that someday you'd become a scientist? <laughs> Absolutely not. I will tell you, though, uh, bottles of cleaner are a lot lighter than slabs of granite, that's for sure. My, my back thanks me. Uh, right, especially as we get older, right? Uh, okay, so... All right, so that's the the uh, disinfectant antimicrobial product. But then you mentioned that one of the things that everybody was looking for is something. I need something that works faster. I need something that is legitimately has a kill COVID claim. Now, I realize that some of your competition out there, and we're talking big names, have those same claims. Like it kills COVID in X amount of time, X amount of time. But yours is the fastest. So far, from what I've seen and a little bit of research, but to give you an idea, this new product, the all-purpose cleaner, which is, it is a two-in-one, so it, it does have a cleaner in it and it disinfects. And this product has a 30-second kills COVID claim. Now, to give you some perspective, Lysol has a two-minute kills COVID claim, mm-hmm. and Microman 24 has a 60-second kills, kills COVID claim. So, Which means, um, which means you, sh- you need to spray it on. Like with the Lysol, no, no knock to Lysol, but you need to spray it and you need to leave it there for two minutes for it to do its job before you wipe it up. Correct. Right. And a lot of bacteria, like staph and those other ones, you're supposed to let those sit for 10 minutes. Right. And a lot of people don't. They spray, they wipe, and they think it's, it's doing its job. Right. So it is important to read the label on these products as well to know 
the dwell time for the for the specific thing you're trying to to accomplish. Yeah. So now you're cleaner, and you know you you, you made your bread and butter in taking care of countertops and quartz surfaces, but this multi-surface cleaner is not just to be used in the kitchen. It can be used anywhere. Yeah, so the multi-action disinfectant antimicrobial is safe to use on your your stone countertops. Now, the all-purpose cleaner, I know people get a little confused. There were granite golds. They think these micro-gold products are for just countertops. Right. But the all-purpose cleaner is designed differently. It is a uh, true cleaner and disinfectant. So that product, we don't want you to use on your countertop. We actually want you to use it on everything else. The same thing you would use Lysol on, you would use this for your remote controls, your door handles, your, uh, you know, you can use it on, you know, any hard on porous surface as well. So just the, the basic, everything you want to clean, you know, if you want to spray your chairs, your, your, your desk, the refrigerator, whatever you need. Well, and I was thinking, uh, we started using it, um, you know, I got kids growing up and uh, we've changed some rooms to my wife does like exercising and has like one of those mats, right, uh, that mm-hmm. you work out on. And she'll spray that mat when she's done with the product. And what I, what I find, what I really like about the product is it doesn't have that harsh smell at all when you use it, which is great. Correct. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, we try to take feedback too, and and to be honest with you, the we we use it ourselves. You know, and that's uh, you know the the final test is you know when we use it at home with our families, and and that's always you know the the big the big side for us is just go use it, see how it smells, see how it works, make sure it's safe. Um, it it's a great product, and having both options because for, even from a price point where you know the the antimicrobial will retail for anywhere from nine ninety nine to twelve ninety nine, and you know you can find it at CVS or Lowe's or Ace. And um, this product retails for four ninety nine, so right. it's more of that everyday product that you can use to actually clean and disinfect in one shot. Because the other products are just disinfectants, right? So there's a difference between actually getting some cleaning power behind it. So I know, I mean, obviously, th- this is your business, but it, it seems to me like it would make sense that you would buy both of these products because they can sort of be used together or in different places in the home. Correct. The stuff that you want to, you know, the really high-touch areas, you know, that you want to treat more often, you can with this product. The antimicrobial is, is definitely, you know, you can treat places and then, you know, you can come back a week later and retreat those areas, but in between cleanings is where the all-purpose cleaner really works well. Thinking like sending kids back to school now and spraying the lunch boxes when they come back and that kind of stuff and wiping it down would be really a terrific use for something like this. Oh yes, we've you know we've donated a lot of product to to different schools, uh, getting kids back to school. You know, definitely my own kids' school as well. Right. So we 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 get them all set up and then we even give them our uh, waterless hand soap to use. Um, so that that works as well. I got to tell you, I've been using that waterless hand soap, and I like how the fact that it has uh, it really doesn't dry you out like the other stuff does. Correct, and it it foams up, so it it literally it's called the waterless hand soap. Cause that's what it is. You're you're basically washing your hands, killing germs, and bacteria in 15 seconds, and this is alcohol free. Yeah. So it doesn't dry out your hands. It does what it what it needs to do. And if if you're in a classroom and you're you know using it on your hands all day throughout the day for the teachers and the students, 
um, it's a it's a great fit. Plus, all those hand sanitizer recalls and oh. those harsh, smelly ones, and you know you don't know what you're getting, and so this product is is a safe, good product to use. Well, that and that's why I like. It. Are you composting? Is this something uh, that you do? You know, the banana peels and the coffee grounds, what are you doing? I think for most of us, what we do is just throw it in the garbage. And I think that we're learning every single day that these food scraps, these organic uh, waste materials that we're using and consuming are heading into the landfills and are aiding in the creation of greenhouse gas, uh, specifically methane. And there are ways to reduce that. Certainly you can compost yourself, but there's an easier way. Joining me on the phone line right now is Erlene Howard, who is the founder and owner of an organization called Collective Resource Compost. Erlene, good morning and welcome to House Smarts Radio. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Do I have it right about um, the food waste and heading into the landfill and how that's really not a good thing for our environment? Yes. It's, um, so 17% of the methane that's created in the United States comes from the food being in the landfill and not having the proper environment to break down. So it ferments and it creates methane. Very dangerous. A lot of people, when you uh, you think about composting, they're like, oh, it's that big bin I have to put in my backyard, and it's gross, and I don't want to deal with that. I mean, I'm just not I, – I know that there's a lot of people that do it, but I think the vast majority of people don't. Your organization, your company that you founded, kind of makes this easy for people. Explain. So we provide a container – um, either a five-gallon orange bucket or a 32-gallon green tote. Every time we come to collect your food scraps, we take the container with us and we leave a fresh washed container ready to go. And this has made us a great model for schools and restaurants and households and condo buildings. And we even have a great model called Neighbor Totes where... Um, multi-unit buildings can um, use the 32-gallon tote or um, a couple of large families can be creative and get together and use it. Um, Or if you want the bucket at your doorstep, um, the five-gallon bucket is super convenient and we will collect it from wherever you leave it outside for us to to pick it up. So it's a bucket, so, you know, basically a five-gallon bucket, I assume, with a lid, and now any kind of food scrap, instead of going into the garbage can or down the disposal, stop doing that, people, you would scrape into this bucket. How often do you uh, pick these up on a a residential uh, home? So we highly recommend that people work into some kind of countertop container, Mm. and when that large bowl or... Um, collection container is full, then take it to where you keep the bucket and empty it. We highly recommend that those collection bowls be lined with paper. Makes it super easy for the bowl to be cleaned and anything that was once alive, the uh, including meat scraps and bones and fish skin and food that's gone bad in the refrigerator, the avocado pits. Um, anything that was once alive, we like to say, can go into the bucket. Hmm. 
And then we come, depending on the size of your family, we come either weekly or every other week to collect and swap out the container. Um, We do have some people who um, don't cook very much, don't have much food waste, and um, we can set up them holding onto the container longer if they'd like to do that. So it's really just based on on your usage and, and you can tailor make that. Now, what happens with all of these food scraps? So you collect them. Now, you, you mentioned the fact that you have a residential service, you know, coming to your individual home. But then I would think that, you know, restaurants and, and you know, schools and stuff like that would be a fabulous uh, client where, where there's, you know, a lot more volume. But what do you do with all this stuff? Yeah, so we collect currently 38 tons a week of food scraps. Wow. And we take it, it ends up at... um a commercial composting site where it's ground up with other food scraps and yard waste and laid out in windrows to cure, um, become, you know, a nutrient-rich soil amendment. Hmm. And then those commercial uh, companies where you bring this stuff, then that ends up becoming a bag of compost that someone could purchase later to use in their garden or something like that, correct? Exactly. So it's it's a fully recyclable mm. food becomes food once again, and it's a really important for the health of our food and what we eat and our personal health, everybody's personal health, to you know have food that's grown in nutrient rich compost. Well, and it's interesting too. You know, I, I read these studies all the time. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of, you know, trying to recycle and, and do those types of things. But in the U.S., we just don't do it right, right? I, I, there was just a recent study where the redu- there's been a reduction in what's being recycled because people, it, it's so confusing what you can and can't do, right? I mean, the simplest thing is, you know, if you order a pizza and it comes in a pizza box, well, you can't recycle it because it's been contaminated. But when it comes to composting, any food that you would put in your body, any scrap that is left from that, instead of scraping down the drain or scraping into, you know, the garbage can, can go into one of your containers and become compost, correct? Correct. It's a lot less confusing than the recycling. And by the way, we can take that greasy pizza box. Oh, really? Because it was once a tree. Oh, interesting. So the greasy pizza box could go in the container. It could, or you could flatten it and leave it underneath your bucket. They're kind of big, and we'll take them away. <laughs> right, that's a good point. Now, I know that in some communities, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're already very active and going around there, but you have a pretty wide service area, correct? We do. We, um, we service a large swath of uh, Chicago besides... We do the north suburbs up to Lake Bluff, and then we go out towards Schaumburg, and we end up on the south end um, in Addison and coming straight back over like to Elmwood Park. And then we do Chicago, all the north side and the south loop and Pilsen and a lot of areas. Oh, we have a few communities that we have a special relationship with, franchise agreements, we're really super excited about, and we would like to build these, uh, more of these with municipalities. Our first one was with Evanston, and now we have Skokie, Morden Grove, and just this year, franchise agreement with Park Ridge started. In these communities, we are 
the only container swap hauler um, for that right, that exclusive hauling right. right. We offer special pricing in those communities because we can build route density, which is right. important. Right, you right. Know, get, your, get your neighbors involved. Well, and I, I like when you mentioned that earlier, you can get neighbors involved and you can kind of come together. And, you know, obviously, you know, from an environmental impact standpoint, you know, the fewer stops that you make or, you know, the more concentrated the stops are, uh, the you know, the better that is overall for the environment. I mean, just spending some time on your website, I see, you know, you have commercial relationships with UIC and with uh, the British school, Goose Island. I mean, those are the ones, you know, where, where that, uh, you know, the amount of stuff coming out of those places can really be so beneficial to keep that stuff out of the landfill. I, I love this idea, and I love the fact that, it's always been very difficult to get people excited about composting because, you know, the traditional method of doing it at your home. Well, I mean, the reality of it is, right, you mentioned you started in Evanston. You know, there's a lot of apartments and stuff in Evanston. People don't have backyards. But then this with a, as you mentioned, a small container on your counter and then putting it into a five-gallon bucket. My, as I mentioned, my daughter was a, a, a subscriber to your service, and she loved it. And uh, I think that it's, it's terrific. Can you give me like a price range of like what it costs for this? Yeah, so uh, generally in the the broader community, if you were to have a five gallon bucket swapped out every other week, um, it would be fifteen fifty per pickup, and for a weekly pickup, it would be ten fifty. Mm. And then in our franchise communities, um, there's a monthly swap out for weekly service is $27 and for every other week service is $20.50. There's discounts for paying quarterly and annually right. that I uh, highly recommend you take advantage of. It's, and then, of course, the, the neighbor tote program, uh, which is $26 for the 32-gallon tote out in the world mm. and um, starts at $22 in our franchise community. So for instance, um, you could, uh, I'm just making, I'm just making this up and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but let's say you're in the city of Chicago and you you have an alley and you have four or five neighbors that want to say, Hey, let's do this tote. And we're all going to utilize that tote though. They could split that cost and you would come pick up that tote. Right. So they would have to have a tote host. So someone who we would have um, a, the business relationship sure, with. Sure, sure. So and I say, the, yeah. I say, so hey, everybody. Be an organizer. Right. I'm Lou Manfredini. Right. I'm going to have this tote. And you, Julie, and you, Susie, and you, Jim, we're all going to use this tote. And, and then I'm going to just pay for it. And then you Venmo me the your portion of it. And then it's, I mean, to me, right, this is. This is almost like a, a philanthropic, I mean, I realize you're a business, but it's like, I'm going to invest in the environment, I'm going to do the right thing, and this is going to be like my contribution on a couple different levels, both financially and what's good for the environment. I, I, I love this idea. Well, I, I love the people who do it with us. Yeah. I am passionate about what I've been doing here the last 12 years. Wow. It's been- 13, 13 years since the light bulb went off for me, <laughs> and then it took a little while for me to figure out how to get the food scraps, how to get people to put the food scraps in a container and get them off to the compost site. Right, right. But I love what I do and the people I have met and the people we get to work with and the people who do this work with me, the 
other 25 people on the collective resource compost crew. We're always eager to have more drivers, more compost collectors. Sure. So there's a lot of information about that on our website, how to join our team. And how to sign up for the service. So where do do people go to learn more? Collectiveresource.us is our website. Collectiveresource.us is the website, and there's all the information there on how to sign up if you're looking for a job, uh, career paths. um, You can even give the gift of compost. That would be, you're looking for a holiday gift, right? People could do that as well. We do have quite a few people who get started because someone was like, oh, they would really like this. And then uh, whatever, the first three months or whatever is the gift. And then usually people continue on with us. Erlene Howard is the founder and owner of Collective Resource Compost. Their website is collectiveresource.us if you'd like more information. Erlene, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. You're listening to House Smarts Radio with me, Lou Manfredini. Our phone number is 857-557-4LOU, 857-557-4568. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Lou Manfredini, House Smarts Radio, 857-557-4LOU. Let's go back to the phone lines. This is Mary calling in from Florida. Hi, Mary. You're on House Smarts Radio. Yeah, hi, Lou. Thank you for taking the call. Um, I just got down to my condo. We have suffered damage due to the hurricane. Sorry. And I have a teak buffet or sideboard. And I had a photo album, one of these that you put together. Mm -hmm. I went to pick it up, and it left a, uh, oh, my gosh, um, a stain on the um, furniture. We were without power for a week. And hence, no air conditioning. Right. The photo itself, it's not, well, it's definitely like some of the, you know, pages are wrinkled and as if moisture did get into it. Now, my sister-in-law says to take mayonnaise to it. I haven't done anything. I'm, you know, afraid to to touch the uh, furniture at this point without talking to you. Oh, that's very nice. You know, I love mayonnaise, but I like it on my BLT. I don't like it on my teak tables. That's right. <laughs> um, I want you to go uh, if at a hardware store somewhere down there, and I want you to we buy. Have okay, I want you to buy a bottle of Howard's Restore a Finish in neutral. Okay, and I want you to buy. Um, package of quadruple zero steel wool and some rubber gloves and you're going to pour a little bit quadruple zero steel wool you're going to pour some of this uh, solution in a container it's petroleum based so it's smelly so make sure we got the windows open and Mm -hmm. once you pour it in there you're going to take the steel wool dip it in there wring it out and with the grain lightly go back and forth back and forth and then wipe it with a clean cotton rag when you're done it should take up everything it should actually refresh, Mary, the uh, the wood as well, and it won't take all the finish off of it, but it should bring it back to life. Okay, great. Yeah, because it looks it, it's shiny and it looks almost mm. like you you know, may- water. Or, yeah, I now, have no idea. Now here's the thing, Mary. You're probably going to have to do the whole surface, not just that area. So don't don't really bear down. Try and do the whole thing as if you're polishing it, but it's almost like a little facelift for the wood. And uh, 
Man, doesn't a BLT sound good right now? Toasted bread? Doesn't that sound good? No? Oh, yeah, you don't like the bacon. You just want the... LT. The, t- the LT. <laughs> well, even that's good with a little mayonnaise. Yeah. Hey, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. It's 8.58 in the morning. We'll take a quick break and be right back. A long-time listener, but I've called a few times, and you've helped me each time, so I'm trying again. Um, we are on the tail end of a mold remediation project in my attic where we have uh, we have a moisture issue. We uh, we've understand we had a contractor out who said that our soffit vents might be clogged and they're a little too small, and they're going to be opening those up and unclogging those. But they've also suggested putting in an attic fan, and right now I don't have any vents through the through the roof. And I'm just curious, you know, is that an easy install? I'm more worried about opening up an, a roof that's otherwise waterproof mm-hmm. and letting moisture in. But, you know, just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Is it an easy job? Is it hard? I mean, it'd be done by a professional, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not so concerned about... So the protrusion through the roof is not really anything that you should concern yourself with. If it's done by... You know, a licensed, experienced roofer adding that yep. protrusion and the correct flashing is not a problem whatsoever. I am okay. a big fan of attic fans, pun intended, um, because I, I have always subscribed to, and for all the years that I build it, built and renovated and, and work with a bunch of different professionals in the field, you know, we've always come to the conclusion, and, I, and I'm still there, that there's no such thing as too much ventilation in a roof. And so with the right-sized fan, with a, mm-hmm. um, you know, both a humidistat and a thermostat yep. connected to it, and in yep, particular, doing. yeah, for yep. you, the humidistat part of it is the most important, that when the moisture level gets high, this fan kicks in, and then it evacuates all of that um, hot air that has the moisture mm-hmm. in it out of there and uh um Lindsay hates the word moisture and um so <laughs> you it, it 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 absolutely it makes a lot of sense for you and you know there's another um you know there's another school of thought where you'll get people to say well you know if you put a fan in there you're negating the benefit of the vents that you already have. And I really don't buy into that. I think the science behind it is that it will turn on, it will create a draft and it will take all that air out of there. And most of those fans Mm -hmm. move about 600 CFMs uh, cubic feet per minute. So that's a lot of air. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm a big proponent of it. Do they, um, do they, um, uh, do they work in the wintertime? I mean, do they only turn on when the temperature or the humidity in the inside goes up to a certain level? Um, Correct. They, they, it, they, probably, yeah. they probably never work in the winter because you wouldn't get to the, – the typical setting would be 90 degrees Fahrenheit where it would kick on mm-hmm. temperature-wise, and you'd probably be somewhere around 50% humidity on the humidistat mm-hmm. side. And you really, you know, you won't, you won't get to the 90 and you won't get to 50% hardly at all in the wintertime. I mean, I suppose there are atmospheric conditions where that could occur. And if it did, it'd kick on. But, you know, the kind of the secret sauce and mold and mildew is that 50% mode. And in a roof area Mm -hmm. where you still have regular, you do have some level of ventilation just naturally without the fan. 
yeah, they typically would right. not work. But but the the fact that this would be, I'm assuming, a wired fan, not a solar powered fan, you get the benefit no, of it. Correct. You get the benefit of it working 24 hours. All right, awesome, great. Thank you so much. You Have got, a great day. You too. I appreciate you calling this morning. Eight five seven five five seven four. Lou is our phone number. Uh, this is a uh, Bonnie calling in from Chicago. Bonnie, you're on House Smarts Radio. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. What's going on? Oh, actually, I'm just sitting here looking at my treeless front lawn, getting all the leaves from my neighbor today. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm used to this. No problem. Um, my question is, I recently had a two-prong outlet replaced with a three-prong. Okay. And I'm wondering if this outlet is safe to use for a... Uh, heater for the winter time, or if it would be too much voltage to put in there. Who replaced this receptacle for you? An electrician. Okay. And that receptacle, do you know what breaker it shares or what it uses? Um, actually, it just uses um, uh, a light in my living room. It's attached to my living room wall. Okay. And that's the only thing that it does. When I turn that on, it only uses that uh, the two outlets for that one wall. Okay. I mean, it, if you went with a a electric heater that didn't use, um, what, what, what's the room that? What what room is it's this? It's a living room. It's a it's living, living room. room. So it's okay. on an outside wall. Okay. And you want to put like some type of small uh, electric fan there. No, like an electric heater, like a heater for the wintertime. Like right, right, right. Have, I'm sorry, an electric heater. heater. Correct, yes. yeah. So they typically run, you know, at two settings with a maximum of 1,500 watts, which would be okay. you know, the maximum, and you should be fine. The, you know, if it's a 15-amp breaker, you know, pulling 1,500 watts is would max it out, but if you're only running a lamp on there as well, I don't think it's a problem, and as long as it has a breaker, if you were to overload it, the breaker would pop, but if we had a, a yeah, see, I don't, yeah, I don't have any other appliance on that. Then you're good. Um, you're good. It's to, attached to a, it's a, the switch above it is a, like um, the outside light, the right, hall light, and right. then just that other uh, <clears throat> appliance. So if I if I'm vacuuming in the living room, I'll turn that on to plug it in. Otherwise, I don't use it at all. And the vacuum does not blow the breaker. No. Then you're fine with the heater because they draw about the same amperage. Okay, so so if it wasn't overload, it would automatically it would pop uh, the breaker. Pop the breaker, it so I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about a fire, right? No, ma'am. Okay, well, thank you. That's the only problem I was calling about. So you have a good day and don't blow away today. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you calling this morning. It's nine twenty in the morning. Eight five seven five five seven four. Lou, we'll take a quick break and be back right after this. How do you remove this hard accumulation from the bottom of the toilet bowl? This is from hard well water. We have. Um, I I've used a pumice stone, but it doesn't. Uh, it it doesn't. You know, it doesn't touch it. Now it's so hard. I can get a little off, but I can never get down to the ceram. Um, the uh, you know the white is this right at the water toilet bowl. is this right at the water line no it's at the very bottom okay bottom it, it's i uh so i use pine saw 
almost every day to put in there so that the rust um, doesn't get in the rest of the bowl. No, no water line. This is the bottom where the water leaves the tank and or where the water leaves the bowl and enters again after you flush at the very bottom. Got it. And a pumice pumice, uh, stone uh, takes a little off, but there's a hard accumulation on the bottom of it. Okay. Now, it's a white toilet, correct? Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. I want you to turn the water off to the toilet. I can't hear you. Uh, you you stepped away from your phone. How's that? I think I, I can hear I can hear your phone rustling around. Okay, let me. I got a cell tower about. Yeah, you're. Hundred feet across the road. I'm going to uh, going to another town yeah, I do. Yeah, right. That I need to go back to that hearing health center. Uh, are we there? Yeah. All right. Can you hear me? Because your phone is muffled. Like you almost it sounds like you have your hand covered over your. Sorry. Oh, oh there you go. Well, how's how, that? How, I can yeah. hear you perfectly. All right. Well, that sounds great. All right. Here we go. Turn the water off to the toilet. Scoop out. Right. Scoop out all the water that is that you possibly can and take a rag so it's completely not dry but no standing water okay right okay. in the meantime i want before all of that i want you to go to the hardware store and purchase a product called wink w-h-i-n-k can't, go ahead i can't hear you again what did what was the next direction wink after removing the water wink can you hear me now Wink. Wink. Is that the product I should get? That is the product you should get. And you're going to follow the instructions on the bottle and wear rubber gloves. And as long as the toilet is white and you use this product. After rubber gloves, I can't hear you. Okay. After after you um, put the product in there let it sit there for a little bit <clears throat> have a bucket with you of water since you've tut- sh- shut the water off and then slowly pour it in there that should loosen up the calcification it is a very strong chemical cleaner it should only be used in white toilets and if that doesn't get rid of it all with the hard water there's not much else you can do now you i just be very careful when you pour it in there because um I said it's it's an product, so you have to follow the instructions to a T that are on the bottle. But it's usually very very effective for uh, breaking down really aggressive calcium, lime, and rust deposits on a toilet. But it I, I always wanted to ask the question of like why is it you can only use it on white toilets? Because if it's a porcelain, and the you know the um, it must take some of the finish off because that must be why i should ask the people that make it it's now owned by rustoleum but it's only white toilets and it really worked call wink you'll find it at a hardware store home center the some grocery stores uh sell it as well 
and they do a really nice job. Hey, are we going to do our uh, Just Text Me segment this morning as well after 930? So you're getting some text messages. So if you want to send us some text messages at 857-557-4LU, we will do uh, our Just Text Me segment. We have about... A half an hour left in the show. Our phone number is 857-557-4LU, 857-557-4568. We'll do our Just Text Me segment after this report of WGN Radio News. Do you have uh, uh, some text messages that we can uh, talk about this morning? I do. Would you like one? Sure. Okay. Uh, um, Lou, what would cause the water flow to be very low in only two faucets in a house? Uh, probably dirty aerators in the end of the faucets themselves. That's the first thing that you would try anytime a faucet is, you know, not producing the kind of volume or flow that you want. Usually you can grab it with your fingers and loosen it up, or if you take a pair of pliers carefully to righty-tighty-lefty-loosey, as if you're down below looking up, take it off, clean it out, turn the water on, let it spit and sputter all over the place, put it back on, and voila. You have fixed it, didn't cost uh, a lot of money, and probably that will solve the problem. All right. Um, next, Lou, I'm putting windows in a cedar screened-in porch and want to insulate the walls. What is the best insulating material? I'm concerned about dampness. Hmm. Well, I'm assuming then you're going to insulate and then cover the walls. You can buy... Spray foam insulation, do-it-yourself spray foam insulation kit at a lot of the home centers. comes in a, looks like a a smaller version of a propane tank that you would put on a grill. And it has a hose and a uh, nozzle. And you could spray a good inch of foam insulation. And I believe it's closed cell foam insulation, meaning that water won't penetrate through it. And that is the best way to insulate every nook and cranny. You got to play around with it because if you put too much, it'll expand wider or deeper than the walls you have. So just start a little bit, spray it, give it, I think, probably 10 minutes or so to see where it's going to land and then go back and do the rest of it and then cover it with drywall or um, whatever paneling you may be doing on the inside after those windows go in and it'll be toasty warm how about one more okay this is a funny one you can do a real question but i have to read this one regarding our sketcher shoe conversation <laughs> earlier in the show yeah hi lou and company i heard the shoe conversation earlier i'm a podiatrist and i'm always telling people that sketchers are usually not the best shoe for them but people love them they have great good or they have good marketing thanks kathleen really <laughs> wow so it's not good for your feet See, I knew this. This is why I don't like them. Did you really know that, or no, now you're just... No <laughs> idea. I just don't like them, <laughs> so, for whatever reason. All right. Well, evidently, according to a podiatrist, I'm not going to comment on it, but they do look nice. Uh, um, do you want one real one more? Sure. Okay. When, do, when doing pressure testing on gas pipes, can it have any negative consequences on gas appliances? If so, what could cause the problem? Um. Well... When you're doing a pressure test on a gas pipe, you don't want to you don't want to overload it because the gas valves on those appliances have a specific rating. And so if you're very concerned about it, look up the manual online so that it tells you that the gas range of the valve of your stove or your range or whatever other appliance it might be will have a range of pressure. Don't exceed that pressure test, that amount of pressure. 
um, there. Or if you really are concerned, disconnect the gas line, cap the well, actually, no. With an appliance, you would have more than likely have a valve. Just shut the valve off and uh, pressure test it then, and then you have no issue whatsoever. So I would that's what I would probably do. Shut the valve off, pressure test it, then turn everything back on. 857-557-4LU. 857-557-4568 is our phone number. Let's go back to the phone line right now and speak with Charles in Crystal Lake. Hey, Charles, you're on House Smarts Radio. Good morning. Good morning. How may I help you, sir? Yes, we've been in our house for 30 years, and just all of a sudden now there is an odor coming from the toilet, and we can't figure out where it's coming from. We've been told that it could be the wax seal in the bottom Mm -hmm. that deteriorated, or it could be a stack that's plugged, but we don't know which way to go. The toilet is operating and flushing properly? Yes. The odor is all the time? It just recently, but for like last week maybe, and it's just coming. We put a box of uh, baking soda in there, and it kind of mellowed it down a little bit, but we thought it was coming from in between a wall in there. Hmm. But we checked it out, and the, the walls are fine. Okay. And we just have nowhere to go now. Okay. And, um... Hmm. It's like a sewer odor. Yeah, yeah, Is there a vanity sink right next to the toilet? Yes. Okay. There's no evidence of any water on the floor, no water, and then uh, this bathroom, is it first floor, second floor? First floor. First floor, is there a basement underneath it? Yes, there is. No evidence of water down there? Nope. I looked at the pipes down there, the plastic pipes. And they're all clean. Okay. Um, I think the odor might be coming from your sink drain, not your toilet. Ah. So here's what I want you to do. Take the pop-up out of the sink drain. You know how to do that? Yes. All right. Get a hold of a pipe, what's called a tube brush. And... I want you to stick it into the vanity drain and take a little pine saw and pour it over the top, just a little bit, you know, uh, a cap full. And I want you to scrub the side walls of the vanity drain all the way down to the trap. You know how you got that little extension coming down from the uh, vanity drain, then it goes to the trap? Right. Right. Clean those sidewalls of all the gunk and everything is there. And I bet you that odor's coming from there, but it's just wafting over to be like the toilet. If you're not seeing any evidence of water with the wax ring, if it was a wax ring failure, uh, one other question. Is the floor heated in the bathroom? Heated? You don't have a heated There's floor. There's a heat vent in, in the floor, but... Where is that heat uh, vent? Where's that heat vent in relationship to the toilet? It's about three foot across from it. Okay, all right, that's not it. I think the I think the odor's in the drain. Try the drain trick. If it works, call me back next week. If it doesn't work, I never want to hear from you again. I'm kidding. Call me. Call me yeah. back. Call me back either way. But I bet that's what it is. 
Okay, we'll give it a shot. All right, got buddy. nothing to lose, right? You, you got nothing to lose. You'll have a clean drain at least at the end of it, and you'll you can tell people about it. We'll hear from you next week, nine forty six in the morning. You're listening to House Smarts Radio with me, Lou Manfredini. We'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How may I help you this morning? Well, I want to know what kind of company I need to call to have um, vents cut into my crawl space. You want to do what with the vents in your crawl space? You know how how uh, you have air vents in a crawl space yep. that's in the foundation. Yep. What what company does that? Um. Well, Permaseal will probably do it, but they will probably talk to you about doing some kind of a crawl space encapsulation. Tell me what's going on in your crawl space. Well, don't have any any water. It just in the winter it seems a little bit damp and musty. And there's no vent down there right now? No. We were the last house built in the subdivision, and they they didn't do an escape uh, window. They didn't do any crawl space vents. We have a partial basement. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably start with the permaseal, and they could come and assess it, the the... Um, you know, the inspection and, and what they do is, is free. It doesn't cost anything and they can provide you with, um, you know, an estimate that, so, you know, there's a couple schools of thought when it comes to crawl spaces. There are some on the camp of venting it and some are in the event of encapsulating it, which obviously is a, a, li- a bit more involved and, um, but it, it, uh, it does create this beautiful, clean space when it's done, and uh, you know it might be worth at least having a conversation with them on this. Okay, yeah, I was thinking about calling them, so that yeah. that was kind of my train of thought, but I didn't know if there was another option. You got it. Try that one and see what happens. Okay, and secondly, what is your favorite tankless water heater? Well. I don't have a brand favorite. Uh, I just installed one called an EcoFlow that is made by Ream. A lot of the technology okay. is very similar. I have one of those in our own home. I've been really happy with it. Quite frankly, uh, it produces water pretty quickly. There's a alert. Do you ha- you don't have a, a on-demand water heater now? Do you? No, just at my sink. So. There's a learning curve when you put on-demand water heaters in. It does take a little bit longer for the water to flow, you know, hot. But then the benefit long-term, in my opinion, is really worth it. Because when it's off, it's off. We're talking about trying to save as much energy as possible. 20% of your energy bill is, uh, for, you know, natural gas or electric, is going towards um, standby. You know, the tanked water heater just filled with water waiting for you to use it. And uh, I think that uh, they make a lot of sense, and they last twice as long as a tank unit. Thanks so much for the phone call. 857-5574-LOU. This is Alex in Lombard. Alex, good morning. You're on House Smarts Radio. Oh, good morning, Lou. Nice to, nice to talk to you. You as well. I just had a quick question. I, I usually watch your, your segment on WGN on Fridays with Robin. Thank you. And, and you had a product about the clearing the drain, and I just I wasn't sure what the name of that product was. Sure. Um, I was talking about the fact that there's regular maintenance you should do with the drains, and uh, you mm-hmm. can get a lot of gunk buildup. It's a company out of Texas that makes this product called InstaFlow. 
And okay. it is a you can get the bottle in a bunch of different sizes. Uh, it's one of the favorites of uh, a woman that I work with at the hardware store, Sue. And um, what you do is, it's like these chips, and you need to mm-hmm. if you have a slow running drain, that's when it works really well. Turn the water on so it's hot and kind of warm up the drain. That's the the real key in this. And then once it's warm and it drains a little bit, you pour this over the drain kind of like a pile. You'll create a pile over the top. Then if you really, the drain's problematic, boil some water prior to this and pour the boiling water over it until it dissolves. Don't put your nose over it because it's quite pungent as it starts to melt. And then leave it in the drain for about a minute, okay? And you'll actually hear it kind of grinding up and munching stuff up. And then if the remainder of the boiling water or just pour hot water to clear the drain. And it is really, really good stuff. Great, great. Well, thank you so much, Lou. I'll go ahead and pick it up right now. You got it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I love all two of those things. It's very nice of you to do. 8575742. Let's see if we can squeeze one in here. This is Nancy in Flossmore. Hey Nancy, good morning. You're on How Smarts Radio. Yeah. Good morning, Lou. Um you were just talking to somebody who had a problem with a smell in a bathroom. You asked if their heat vent was near the toilet. The answer was no, so you told them to clean the drain. Well, we've been cleaning our sink drains. We have two sinks and that's not the problem. And our heat vent is within six inches of the toilet. So now I'm concerned. What's the rest of that conversation that I don't get? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the issue is, is that if that heat vent is blowing right on that toilet and the china at the base, if you put your hand on that and it's warm and you yeah. have a standard wax ring, it could actually be softening the ring and ah. causing a little bit of a gap so that you have a smell. Now, there wow. are... Sim- so even if you don't see any leak or you Correct. don't see any leak ju- or you're just, no racking, okay. if, and, and so that can be... So where this really becomes an issue is for a lot of people that have heated tile floors. And what happens is the heated tile floor, that's why I mentioned it, melts the ring, and then you get a little gap and you can get a smell. They make synthetic rings for toilets that you use in place of this and it's kind of a spongy round donut and then there's no wax it does a really nice job of sealing it one product is called um santa seal and um so in an application like yours where that heat vent there if you put your hand on that china and it's warm and you're noticing an odor that could be the problem and you can solve it using one of those synthetic wax rings um, synthetic rings. It's not wax. Thanks so much for the phone call. Hey, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We'll take a quick break and be right back.